0: Welcome to another episode of Tropes Out, podcast for book lovers, where we chat with your favorite and future favorite authors. I am Emma C. Wells, that is EJ Winstrom, and today we are chatting with the creator of the webtoon Neptune's Bay, Emmy Paxman. Emmy is a writer and artist from British Columbia, Canada. She has her MFA in creative writing from Chatham University and and an addiction to watercolor. When she isn't writing or painting, she likes to garden and pet ill-tempered cats. You can find Neptune's Bay on webtoons.com or you can Google Neptune's Bay and it pops right up. Emmy is active on Instagram and you can visit her there as Emmy Paxman. That's E-M-M-Y-P-A-X-M-A-N.
1: Emmy, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so looking forward to this. So, yay.
2: Yay! <laughs> I'm excited to have you. You are our first webtoon creator.
1: Yes, yeah. Um, when uh, when we were talking about kind of pitching this episode and everything, one of the big things that we were looking at was, oh my goodness, we need to talk comics. We need to talk kind of the modern world of comics and everything else, because it's such a fun and exciting place. And it's especially, I think, a really fun, exciting place for people who love tropes. Because, like, I don't know if, you know, for, for listeners who have been on uh, Webtoon before... Uh, you go there, and it's like, you know, everything is very trophy They very much are like, do you want this X meets Y that, you know, <laughs> that uh, is, is super, super easy to pitch? Because we've got a comic for that. And so it just felt like such a natural fit to kind of be able to come on this and talk about... Uh, tropes in sort of a different area of the writing world with everyone
2: amazing yeah comics are the tropiest they really are i love it i'm so
1: excited because <laughs> when i thought
0: about having emmy as a guest it was because we were chatting about tropes mm-hmm. on twitter and i had a question about himbos, and i remember she was like on it she was, like, I have opinions on this this is what they are and i was like oh you need
1: <laughs> i have i have very very coherent opinions on himbos like you know it's very very important to me um you know, I I can easily point to who the himbo is in my comic, because uh, there has to be one. Um, <laughs> so. I feel like
0: we should probably start at the beginning for our listeners. Why don't you kind of explain what a webtoon is. And then you can tell us kind of how you got into creating them because you're very prolific. I was scrolling through Neptune's Bay earlier this week and you were like you
1: have like 47 episodes. They're all like full color and beautiful like watercolor. Oh, thank you. So I've loved comics since I was quite young. I'd say kind of in my early twenties was when I like got into graphic novels. You know, as a kid, I was very much that kid who read like newspaper comics. And I didn't think of myself as being someone who was super into comics until I got a bit older, uh, largely because I didn't really read superhero serials. And, you know, growing up in the nineties, that was kind of what was available um, was, you know, like, and and it's funny cause both my older siblings did. And I'm the one who makes comics. Like my my brother had a lot of X-Men. Uh, my sister was really into the Hulk. There, there were comics in my life, and I occasionally like leafed through their comics and everything. But on the whole, like when I think of my early exposure, it was primarily things like Calvin and Hobbes, and you know stuff like that. And I really, really loved those newspaper comics. But it kind of took until kind of things had progressed enough in the early two thousands, and there was an opening up of genre that sort of happened with uh, Japanese manga coming over. And the moment that manga broke through, um, I'd say there was a pretty big shift. Uh, It started leading to sort of the shift in terms of the rise of graphic novels. I have a lot of graphic novel series that I love. Um, But the other really, really big thing that happened in the 2000s was the internet arrived. Uh And with it came webcomics. And... Um, it's my, it's my, like, not supported by data, but I'm pretty sure it's true belief that for the majority of people, the majority of comics that, like, your average adult reads today, they read online without even thinking about it. You know, they're just scrolling through Instagram and then suddenly those little aliens from Strange Planet pop up and they're like... I crave sun damage, and they get all excited about that. You know, like, this is how we see comics now, as we see them pop up on our social media and everything else. And with the advent of the internet, I got into reading a lot of indie comics. And on the whole, in the early days of the internet, You either were looking at these kind of like gag a day strips, you know, sort of like what I just described with Strange Planet or um, Sarah Scribbles is a really popular one around now. Some of the older ones were things like XKCD, which is all those stick figures who uh, have. Oh, yeah. 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 (laughs) That takes me back to college. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We all go through and like anyone who went through college while XKCD was going around, like shared that around at some point because like, yeah you know stick men who were slightly nihilistic what, what's not to love um and so but on the flip side there definitely were people who c- were creating long-form comics at the time as well online and i followed a lot of those too but they were kind of made to mimic graphic novels you know ev- everything was organized by the page and uh you know you'd be like clicking through hyperlinks in a you know database to kind of go through the entire plot and it was an imperfect way of reading comics, but it was better than not getting comics for you know free online. And what I what I found over the years is you know like I'd be I'd be reading some of my favorites, and you spend a lot of time like scrolling around and looking at everything, and it's really really awkward feeling, uh, but you do it anyway. And then what happened is in the early 2000s, there was a movement towards what we would now call like a scrolling comic or a webtoon. They started in South Korea. Uh, So many of the best things in pop culture in recent years have come from South Korea. Um, And um, webtoons are one of them. So they started there and they actually came around before the uh, smartphone was a thing. Um, But once smartphones arrived and we all got really used to the like the action of scrolling through Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and you name it, you know, just that scrolling social media thing that really ended up being the moment when uh, Webtoons exploded out of South Korea and they just kind of proliferated all around the world. Um, and so suddenly, you know, there were tons of American ones. There was the company Webtoon that organized and is by far the largest publisher of these things in the, U- in the uh, U.S. and Canada. Um, and the basic idea is instead of you reading a page, you're just scrolling through an episode. And at any given time, only one or two panels are visible. I mean, technically, when a panel is really long... The whole panel might not even be visible. (laughs) And it's a very, very different reading method. Um, I have a lot of thoughts on kind of what makes the writing experience different, but really to me, they solved the problem of how to read comics online. Back at the beginning of the pandemic was when I stumbled across Webtoon, And, like, I'd been getting, like, the same ad for the comic Let's Play, like, over and over and over again. And eventually, you know, at first I was like, oh, there's a silly romance. And then eventually I was, it, it, like, wore me down. And I was like, I have to know what happens. I've seen this ad so many times and now. And now I have to know. And I clicked into it. And, like, I binged that that sucker. And there's, like, there was over a hundred or around a hundred episodes at the time that I came across that one. And I swear I read them in two days. Like, I just...
0: That's, I think webtoons and, like, online
1: comics are, they
0: are super bingeable. Oh, are. Like, that's the whole yeah. thing because I'm not even, like, I I like comic books, but I wouldn't say I'm, like, a book person just because I don't know as much. But when I was poking around, like, webtoons, I fell into, like, some horror webtoons. Yes. And Ooh. I swear, like, eight hours went by and I'm like, oh, my God. It <laughs> yeah, okay. was okay. like, where did now? my day go? <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah.
2: I'm going to have to get some recs from you for that. Horror webtoons? Yeah.
1: If memory serves, like they have somewhere on their like branding and everything where they're like, Webtoon, binge-worthy stories. So like that is, you know, they are trying to hit that catnip part of your brain so hard. And that's why you see a lot of these really hooky, high concept kind of things uh, that get pushed as far as they go.
2: And, you know, you kind of mentioned this in passing, but I'd like to dig into it a little bit more. You know, when you look at a graphic novel or a paper comic, you get some really cool art that comes out of that because They'll use like the full page or they'll use a full spread to like really capture a major dramatic moment. You said something about how the webtoon format with the scroll has really changed how you kind of format and the art that you put into it. So how does that sort of kind of transfer over or what are the different ways that you've seen or done
1: in the webtoon? So they are super different feeling. Um, And I feel like they both have advantages and disadvantages. I feel like graphic novels have a little bit of an edge as art pieces you know like mm. they, there's a reason why they're books you know you you kind of you can get that kind of coffee table book feel to a lot of graphic novels um i'm i'm working on actually prepping a class that i'm going to be teaching on writing specifically for webtoons um and yeah, yeah I, I have to record that in like next week um <laughs> for a writing conference yeah no pressure Um, and and i talk a lot about this like one of the really big things is like you know your kind of classic way of establishing a location in a traditional comic book is like they'll do like this big double page spread with this huge panoramic shot and you're like whoa and like you know especially the more cinematic and like widescreen lens feeling your your panel is the less impressive it looks in a webtoon. Because it's like, you know, like, and suddenly you're shrunk down to these dimensions where it's only as wide as a phone screen and a phone screen is not very wide. Like, you suddenly have to build all of your action vertically. The thing that I think Mm -hmm. is a real opportunity, because it's very easy to look at kind of, I think, webtoons and see what you're missing and see, like, what, what was lost by leaving page comics in terms of kind of them as art pieces. Webtoons as storytelling devices, though, they have this really cool thing, which is that only two panels are visible at a time which means you can do a lot in terms of suspense Hmm. you know and i think maybe that's part of why those horror comics got you like so bad (laughs) oh yeah
0: (laughs) even ones where it was like kind of slightly familiar and i felt like i knew what was going to happen it was like nope gotta keep going gotta see what you know
1: yeah yeah exactly and it's because you can't see what happens next. You know, like one of kind of the ultimate problems in comics is you turn a page and whatever is the most visually catching element of that page is gonna draw your eye. It doesn't matter how badly you want to surprise your reader with something that happens on that second page and that two page spread, it's gonna pull your eye. And like, yeah, you'll go back and read in order, But the surprise is going to be ruined to a certain degree. Whereas in Webtoon, like, you can just keep going. And, you know, a lot of, I think, the best creators, they're really good at using the gutters, which is a term for the space between panels. Um, and they'll use their, you know, they'll change the color of their gutters to like show something is getting really tense or really romantic and kind of make you anticipate it all the more. So you're like, ah, you know, scrolling real hard. <laughs> 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 and, anyway, <laughs> so, um, so that's one of the things I really enjoy about storytelling on Webtoon is that like it's very, very easy to hide a big reveal or to like make people wait a beat for a punchline to a joke you know um and so there's a real sense of timing to the way that they're paced and i thoroughly enjoy that about creating for them
0: it's very cool there definitely is i mean i know like just as a reader with no artistic bone in my body uh the way you can hint at Mm -hmm. things to come because you don't see like a whole page because i actually before we recorded i was scrolling back through neptune's bay and my husband was in here eating as yes, he does in the kitchen. And I was like, come look at this, come look at this. And I was scrolling through your very first episode and you can see like, it's like this idyllic countryside and it's this like mm-hmm. forest and there's this like river. And then suddenly there's this skeleton yeah. boot in the bottom corner <laughs> and you're like, okay, everything isn't as it seems here yeah. in Neptune's yeah. Bay. Like what's, what's going on? And it kind of sets this whole mood, you know that you then deliver on. Mm.
1: Thank you, yeah. I, um, I'm still very proud of that, that kind of intro section that I have in the very first episode, which is like, you know, setting up this idea of like, don't you want the simple life? Don't you want to return to nature on the farm where everything is good and you like scroll down through the mountains and past the farm and then you're in this idyllic river and then you keep descending into the river and there's a skeleton at the bottom of it and you're just like, oh, (laughs) so yeah no and i've i've enjoyed that and you know like it's fun for me going back and reading comments because you know there's readers who are like tracking the progress of like where the boot has turned up and where there's been kind of references to like what's going on and everything and they're like you know when when in season two um the mystery angle of it kind of picked up a bit more everyone was like the boot is back she found the skeleton boot and like you know, it hasn't been confirmed by the characters in universe that there's a dead body in the river, but everyone's waiting for that because they they know from that really really early establishing shot that there is a skeleton in this river. Um, so yeah, I'm really looking forward to that.
2: <laughs> how would you describe how would you describe Neptune's Bay?
1: So Neptune Bay, um, I I feel like to me it is a merging of kind of your classic really goofy rom-com tropes with um, a really intense love that I have for a certain type of video game, which is Farming Simulators. Um, So much so that it's explicitly in the premise. It's the story of a young woman named Meg. She has just gone through a really brutal breakup. She's not in a good space mentally. And uh, she wants a change in her life. She's currently living on her best friend's couch. And so she's scrolling through places to rent one day, And she sees this tiny beaten down farm on Neptune Island. And in her experience, you know, that's, that is the premise. That is the setup for one of these games where you like go and you start a farm and you build this new life and this idyllic place. And she's just like, (laughs) I'm going to do it. I'm going to go for it. And her, her best friend who sees reason and things can't quite talk her out of it. And so she goes to this place And she's always kind of interacting with it in this very heightened way where she's kind of filtering it through the expectations she built up over years of playing video games. And so all of the various characters she meets, like anytime she meets a guy who she thinks is attractive, um, there's like a flower that poofs next to him because flowers are often used in these games and like as they change color or grow petals you know, it signifies that they're falling in love with you. And so she's, like, tracking her relationship with all of these guys, even though that's a really, (laughs) really not good way of thinking about love and dating. And frankly, she's not ready to date anyone. She just got out of a breakup. Um, And so it's about kind of all of her various misadventures. And she meets all of these characters who... When you first meet them, and when she first meets them in particular, they feel very much like these cliche video game characters that you would meet that would be the NPCs, the non-player characters, in some kind of, like, life sim game. So, you know, one of the guys is the himbo. One of them is the bad boy, and he's that because he has a motorcycle. That's all it takes. (laughs) Um, You know, one of them is the guy who actually knows something about farming, you know? And so, you know, all of these characters, you know, start interacting and... She starts having to kind of reconcile their complexity, and that grows all the more pressing as she begins to realize that there's a chance there is a dead body in the river behind her house that no one has solved the issue of and everything, and that she has effectively moved into a place that looks perfect, but there's a lot more complexity underneath. And the whole skeleton in the river is almost kind of a metaphor of all that, you know, when we go to run away from our problems to some idyllic place there's probably a skeleton in the river. (laughs) This has a very, to me, just hearing you talk about it, a very feel, like some of the,
0: not early 2000s, but like the 2000s sci-fi channel shows, um, like Eureka. Like, you know what I'm talking about? Like these different, where it had like this really great feeling, but really there was a lot more going on underneath the surface and even like this dark current. I can't think of, of course I can't think of any other names of any of the shows right now, but I will. And I will put them in the show
1: notes. (laughs) Well, well, I will mention, like, I think if you're looking for, like, a show that is probably an impact on, like, everything I've ever created since it came out, it's probably the show Lost, of all things, Mm, where mm -hmm. you've got a whole bunch of people who secretly have these backstories, you know, that make them more complicated than they seem on the surface... And they're all, you know, kind of thrust into working together in some way. And I'd say there's elements of that even that come into this, um, you know, obviously it's not nearly as speculative or anything like that, but certainly you have a lot of sections and, and a lot of recent episodes have kind of been delving into, like, what is the baggage that these characters, that Meg is treating like tropes, you know, what is the actual baggage they're carrying? And, uh, you know, what are the things that have actually happened in their past that is going unsaid right now? You know, because she does not know. Yeah. So.
2: You're actually uh, this whole description gives me some pretty strong Scott Pilgrim vibes with the whole video game. Motif. Yeah,
1: direct inspiration. Yeah. Um, Beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> like when you talk about like comics that I loved that I kind of discovered in my early 20s and like became my identity. Scott Pilgrim was one of them. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, and so there was a lot of kind of pulling from Scott Pilgrim, um, and, uh, you know, Meg and Scott, I think, are very similar characters, uh, in, in certain regards. I think Meg is a little more inherently selfless, she's kind of more of a knotless thread than she is self-centered, I would say, um, but, you know, a little bit of an inability to face reality, they definitely share that in common, and, yeah. Uh, <laughs> So, yeah,
0: yeah. So you said you've had you have a love for tropes. Like it's really obvious and like it's really fun mm-hmm. to hear you talk about Neptune's Bay. Do you have a favorite one that you like to write? like when you when you get ready to like map out an episode or or however your process works that you're like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna do like this bad boy or like we are going to, like is there something that really makes you
1: excited? Yeah, um, in Neptune Bay in particular, um, I mean, I guess, I guess the really big thing we've talked about it already is I love the slow reveal that somebody is more than the stereotype they seem on the surface. And, and I think probably, um, the strongest example of that to a certain degree is, uh, the character of Ozzy. Um, he's, he's our bad boy with a motorcycle. Um, and when he's introed, like, it was really fun watching the comments because when he was introed people immediately turned on him he was too cocky he was too confident and like there is nothing I love more than like introing the cocky confident guy that everyone wants to hate and then like gradually peeling back the layers until you're like this man is an absolute mess inwardly and then by then they're all like I would die for him like you know that's that's I think one of my favorite things is when you can kind of take an inherently unlikable character and then you know like gradually there's this shift towards him suddenly becoming everyone's favorite and uh you know that one i think uh was a really really fun one for that uh with that particular character because like gradually the comment section like first first they just hated him then they were angry at me for making them (laughs) feel sympathy for him and then they started to love him and root for him and uh it was those are some of my favorite characters
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah spike anytime we
0: have a romance writer on the show we always are like okay let's talk creepy yeah. heroes <laughs> Straight through or, or, or bad know, right? boy heroes or <laughs> I know right we need them <laughs> so this has been a lot of fun if you've listened to the podcast and you know we're gonna ask you to play trope out and let's I'm really it. excited to play this with you because you're very enthusiastic and this is just giving me <laughs> life right now because yes goodness. um EJ you want to kick us off?
2: all right um and do we need to describe the game? Basically, just go with your gut. We're going to give you two options. Pick one, Yeah. and then okay. we'll chat about it, or we won't. And then we'll move on, and we'll give you two more options. And you just go with your gut. All right.
1: OK. Yeah, it's a pretty okay. simple OK, good.
2: OK.
0: <laughs> oh, I forgot to put the big one on the list, EJ. So we'll just have
1: to like go from
2: memory. <laughs> oh, we're not going to forget. It's fine. OK, oh, no, best okay. friend, sibling, or friends to lovers?
1: Oh, best friends, sibling, or friends to lovers. Um, I like both of them a lot. I feel like I'm gonna go with friends to lovers just because I think that that's a little more universal. Um, I feel like there's just a lot of really, really good applications of that. Um, I am definitely using that in in Neptune Bay. So from a writing perspective, I think I'm more likely to do it. You know. So yeah, I'm gonna go with gonna go with friends to lovers. But but uh, <laughs> best friends brother is good too. Yeah. <laughs> that happened like in real life in my life my i knew my um brother's wife before he did uh but anyway Great. that's
0: awesome yeah my brother-in-law introduced yeah. me to my husband so right. there you go <laughs> see it happens yeah yeah i think the friends to lovers is really good i think enemies to friends to lovers is probably my favorite favorite romance trope. yes trove.
1: yes yeah i in general like whenever people say enemies to lovers i'm like yes but i really want them to stop yes, friends on first <laughs> like exactly. or jump it and then have to come back to it because
0: it's messy yeah. and then work back to lovers. i like a, yeah. story. Like, a good enemies, one, yeah. lovers a good one too doesn't work friends okay now we're lovers again all right yeah yeah <laughs> so okay here's one for you i'm gonna keep it romantical since that's the okay. the direction we're in himbo or secretly sexy nerd
1: oh um this is really hard because I love them both. <laughs> secretly sexy nerd um you know. <laughs> pulls off the glasses
0: and you're like we never knew yeah, you were sexy it's
1: like oh no um yeah yeah no or even more like the, also on the reverse the like guy who suddenly is like yeah it turns out I am nerdy and it's like wait <laughs> you're not just pectoral muscles right um like both of those I'll take but like You know, it's funny because, like, there is the piece of me that wants to choose the himbo because I love how with the himbo built in is the expectation that he is kind and supportive of women, even if they're, like, smarter than him and everything. Um, But, like, I just know for myself, like, what am I, what am I attracted to most often? It's going to be the sexy nerd. Sexy You know, gotta, gotta, gotta lead with my heart. (laughs) Great.
2: Okay, I've got a classic comic book one for you maybe a little bit outside your purview since you said you are into superheroes but we're doing it anyway so classic heroic superhero or burnt out cynical superhero
1: um yeah so this is like the classic <laughs> batman versus superman um it, it's batman like you know it as much as a bad idea as it is like you know it's got to be batman um and and i feel like yeah, I feel like in general I'm a little I'm a little bit more for anti-heroes in whatever kind of context you're, you know, engaging with them in. Um, that being said, though, I will throw out that my favorite Avenger is Captain America. Um, so, so sometimes, like, if the good boy is done really well, I will be one back over to that side. Um, and uh, I think they do a really good job of kind of deconstructing that, like, paragon yeah. with Captain America. And, uh, so, you know, I can be Did swayed. you, did yeah. you watch the
2: new Batman?
1: <laughs> I haven't yet, you know, like, you know how hard it is to get to movies these days? Like, yeah, I, I would love to, though. I'm excited for it. Um, I, I love the casting of, um, Robert Pattinson, Pattinson, I never know how to say his last name, but, uh, he is great. Like, when they put that Batman cowl on him, it was like, oh my gosh, like, you think you think every hot dude <laughs> looks like Batman, and then you see him put it on, and you're like, no, wait, Batman has a really specific he tall dies.
2: line. And he really does. It works. All too true. Like,
1: everyone else looks way too beef-faced now, like, comparably. Right. I'm like, no, Batman is supposed to, yeah, right up there, anyway.
0: I agree with you, because... Mm-hmm. Hmm. I don't know.
1: I think I even have a harder
0: time with like the Boy Scout hero because I don't trust them. I'm like, why are you being mm-hmm. so nice? Especially if you have these powers and you can do whatever you want, why are you doing yeah. this? And then I think about yeah. that show, The Boys.
1: Did you watch that? Oh my goodness, that's that's too violent for me. But I've heard amazing <laughs> things. Like, well, you know? they have
0: like a Captain America superhero guy, yeah. but he's yeah. like so bad and evil, yeah, like, and so it's all bad. just a facade. And it, like, ruined yeah. it. Like, I can never, like, I don't trust Superman anymore. <laughs> like, and you should not. so
1: true. I have a good friend who, like, reports on that show to me because I'm very interested in what's happening in it. I just, I know I wouldn't it's a be handle Violet. it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so he, like, reports in and I'm like, Tim, what terrible things have happened to the boys? And he's like, all of the terrible things. Time's Basically, time.
0: Basically, yeah. Any, anything. I don't even know what they're going to yeah. do in, in season three because, goodness. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm trying to think. If I want to, there's a couple of good ones on this list, but I'm going to do this one since we did bring up Robert Pattinson and my ADHD brain goes from Batman to vampires. I have, help, save me from this vampire. I'm too beautiful to be dinner. Or, oh, show me what you can do with those things, you undead sex
1: bot. Honestly, how do you not choose the second one at that point? (laughs) Like, you know, um, if you're too beautiful, you should want to be you should, you should want to be a vampire, right? Like, you know, (laughs) be beautiful forever. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I, I don't know. I feel like, I feel like in general, when it comes to paranormal stories, I'm not super into the, like, oh my gosh, will he eat me? I'm more interested in the, I'm more interested in the, like, okay, what happens after that, you know? And so let's just jump past that, you know? (laughs) That's my (laughs) feeling.
2: And our final one, that we've been asking everybody: secret baby or secret millionaire?
1: I knew this one was coming. Okay, so, <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's funny because I know we've been talking very much from a romance point of view, um, but my prose work doesn't match what I do mm-hmm. on cartoon like at all. I write predominantly in fantasy, and I write predominantly oh. stuff that kind of borders mystery. And so, uh, for the reasons that were spelled out by uh, Mia. Earlier, I've gotta go with Secret Baby because to me, there Secret Baby creates conflict, Secret Billionaire just makes everything <laughs> boring, it just resolves everything. That's <laughs> like, a good take. Like,
2: that is then, a know, good take.
1: Yeah, and like and I'll totally admit there is nothing sexy about Secret Baby. Like, you know, it's like the least sexy thing ever. Um, but like it's a really good mystery trope. Where a secret billionaire tends to just be like, you know, like, for a moment, she's like, oh, I'm so mad, you lied. And then, like, two (laughs) minutes later, they get married, and it's like, great, yeah, whatever, yeah, you were so mad he was a billionaire. (laughs) Um, Right? (laughs) (laughs) So, so yeah, so that one just doesn't really do it for me. Uh, But, like... Secret Baby has potential, you know, like, again, I, I don't think I'd want it in a romance, but in something that's more mystery-oriented, which is kind of some of my other work and everything, I would so much rather see everyone implode because there's an heir they don't know about, or, you know, that kind of thing. Like, that is just a grade-A mess, and in general, I like the tropes that cause mess.
0: It's so. uh, It's been really fun talking to different genre authors mm-hmm. uh, about Secret Baby, because we added it in the first episode we our first uh, interview was hildy mcqueen who is an indie romance writer and so my brain was very much on romance tropes but since then we've talked to mia we've talked to some sci-fi writers to some uh thrillers and it is completely like everybody's brain goes to like a completely different place like wherever they're they're used to and so it's it's kind of made me think about it differently but you know i've never really considered secret billionaire from that angle about how that that could be boring, and how it would be unbelievable! Oh, you
1: lied about your billions! Like I could never how forget. How so dare yeah. you have I'm gonna go shower me with money? money. Apartments. You're right. <laughs> Excuse me, while I shower in champagne yeah. to wipe away my tears. Like it right. so <laughs> just, you know, <laughs> whose, whose problem is that? Um, but anyway,
2: love it. All right, well, yeah. Emmy Paxman, thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Troped Out. Before we wrap up, can you tell us one more time where our listeners can find you online?
1: Yeah, so you can find me on Instagram at Emmy Paxman. Uh, You can find me on Twitter at Emily Iris Paxman. And you can find me on Webtoon at Emmy Pax or uh, just look for Neptune Bay. And uh, yeah, enjoy some watercolor fun.
0: Yes, guys, check it out. They're beautiful. We didn't even get into her process or about like where she gets her ideas as far as like the artistic side of it. But you do want to go check these out. They're gorgeous. They're funny and interesting, so you have to go check out Neptune's Bay.
2: And we'll drop the links in the show notes. And uh, also, if you're enjoying Troped Out, please subscribe, leave a review, um, share, and uh, check out our bookshop where we link to all of our authors' books. (laughs)